I really wanted to talk about, from the text that we're going to be looking at today, just the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. You'll see it here in a minute, but I couldn't get past one verse. So we're going to read the, the, the cluster of verses that I was going to teach from, but then we're going to go right back to the top and just focus on one verse from the text. Um, like I said earlier, I feel like I'm coming out of a COVID cloud. Who feels like that? So we've been here technically three years, but it only feels like two. Because one of them was, <laughs> remember Park and, Park and Pray? I was telling someone that, that people from other states at the conference were saying, hey, how did you guys do through uh, COVID? Uh, we shut down or we didn't have church or some churches shut their doors. And I'm like, we just pivoted. We just figured out a way. And I was telling about, uh, my daughter is in Washington and my son is in uh, Yosemite. They're both not here. But Chloe and Maddie in her car, <laughs> remember? They were driving. Yeah, she was through the, and they were holding up Bible verses. And this one, COVID first hit, everyone had their windows up and their masks on. Read that and pray and let's get out of here lest we die. Um, so, and then remember uh, meeting in the grass over here and the pop-up tents and the chairs? I actually thought that was, that was my favorite part of COVID. That was fun. I like that. And then we came back and then we had roped off aisles and, you know, warning, 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 warning. I'm not making light of it. It was just, it was the time that we lived in and it was just awkward for us. And for many churches uh, around the nation, uh, some churches didn't cooperate, and we did. We were fully compliant with all the, the guidelines, but some churches got shut down and fined, and um, some, some just disbanded. Some did really well. I had a friend um, in Louisiana. He said, man, our church really thrived through COVID, and I think ours did too, to be honest with you, because um, of the faithfulness of the people and their love for the Lord. But he said, yeah, our our church really thrived, and um, they started new ministries as a result of it, and I thought, that's super good to hear. Um, but if you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8, and the last time I was here, which was just two weeks ago, um, we were going through the passages where Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Remember, I made a big deal about that. Not to be a stickler on words, but I like the idea of being made a free new creation in Christ. It's for freedom that Christ has made us free. If you get the idea of set someone free, it's almost like, hey, felon, here's the keys to the jail cell. Go enjoy your freedom. Do whatever you want, right? It's kind of like the set free versus you've been made a free creature in Christ, so today we're going to be focusing in on verses 39 through 47. So if you have your Bibles, I think this will be on the screen. But there's, I'll give you a heads up. Get your devices out or your scrolls or your lambskin or your clay tablets or your Bible with paper, whatever it is. But be prepared because there's going to be verses that aren't going to be on the screen on purpose because I want you to look in your own Bible and, and kind of go through the verses with me. Those will be on two different occasions. 
But I think John will be up on the screen. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Now Jesus in context is having, he did this same similar thing in John chapter 5 where they really kind of clashed with Jesus because he said that God was his father. He works, God works, making himself equal with God. He healed on the Sabbath. Um, and, and they just didn't understand the relationship between Jesus calling God his father in the, in a most intimate way and a geographical way too. He was saying, I'm from above, you're from below. I come from heaven, you come from earth. And they were just... Their circuit, their religious circuitry was getting fried. And now Jesus is getting into another discussion with the Pharisees, which would have been in the Jewish culture, they would have been at the pinnacle or the apex at the very top of, you know, the, I guess, the most religiously respected people of their day. But considering their, their like, position in society um, and kind of like the, what they demanded and required of people for their admiration and respect for their, their take on, on the scriptures and the extra-biblical uh, scriptures like the Talmud and the Jewish tradition, Jesus is going toe-to-toe with these guys. So I'll back up. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus answered them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And that's what we're going to focus today is... D- if you did, if you were connected to Abraham like you say you are, you would manifest the same sort of faith that was connected to the father that Abraham had, who was called the friend of God and knew God and believed in God and obeyed God and followed God. And yeah, he had some ups and downs, but uh, he, was a, he was a believer. But now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth, which I have heard beside God. This Abraham did not do. He wasn't murderous. You do the deeds of your father. Okay, wait a second. Now Jesus is really going to be confrontational uh, as their origin of being. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Oh, okay. We'll see about that. Jesus said to them, if God were your father. Now, this is interesting to me. They're saying, hey, Jehovah and me, we're tight. I mean, I wear scrolls on my, on my head. I've got, you know, prayer, uh, prayer things. Um, I, I, I pray so many times a day. I fast. I tithe. Even of my herbs. I mean, um, God's, me and God are definitely related. I mean, look at all that I do. And they're telling Jesus, who knows everyone's genealogy, he, Psalm 139, he knows us intimately. He, know, he knew us before we were born. And so they're telling Jesus about their lineage and their connection with the Father. Really. It's like, it's like me coming up to you guys and saying, you know what, I'm your son. You, what? You don't know that? And you, I have no connection. I'm just inserting myself into your family. And you're like, you, where's the receipts? There's no evidence in your life, and you have, have no link to this. Um, so he says this. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. Right? You would, you would, love, you would love Jesus as your brother if you're saying you're really connected to God. For I went forth and came from God. 
I did not come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not know my speech? Because you cannot hear my word? Now, here is probably the most scathing statement. There's others. If you read Matthew 23, there's others. He calls them children of hell um, and hypocrites and vipers and liars. But look at this statement. You are of your father, the devil. So he's, he's saying, nope, you're not, actually, you're not actually God's children, even though you're the children of Israel. Physically, spiritually, you're connected to the devil. Wouldn't that be a hard thing to hear? Here you are, you're thinking you're doing okay. You're keeping all the rules, you know, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, praying at the right times, avoiding food at the right times, and observing the dietary laws, this law, that law. And then the one who wrote the law, the most righteous, perfect, holy, the sinless Lamb of God just tells you, you don't know God. You're actually birthed from the devil. I remember um, I was trying to be a Christian at one time. <laughs> I thought you could become a Christian by good works. I went, I went to, down to a river. I was homeless at the time, kind of technically. I was living out of the back of my truck, going from place to place. Um, my folks moved to Phoenix and they kicked me out. Um, and so the, I was 18 and just trying to figure life out. And I remember it was like two in the morning or something like that. I went down to the river where all my high school buddies used to go and party and hang out. But now I'm trying to be a Christian. So I'm cleaning up my life. And I went there and I remember this one guy, Jared. Um, we're all standing around the fire down by the river at a fire. <laughs> you live in a van down by the river. <laughs> Um, and I, and I, I would carry around a concordance and a, and a big family Bible. So it was a huge set of two books in my backpack, right? And I didn't know anything about the Bible. That's why I had the concordance. And uh, I, I was trying to tell him about, you know, hey, the Bible and people in the Bible. Because um, I wasn't raised in church. Um, and he said, have you ever read that verse? You're of your father, the devil. John 8, 44. I'm like, that's not in the Bible. And then I read it, and I'm like, that's in the Bible. <laughs> but context is so important, right? So I thought I was of the devil because um, he told me this one part of this verse. But Jesus is saying, listen here, religious leaders. You're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and did not abide in the truth because there's no truth in him. And remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about truth is a who, not a what. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is not in them. And he's, the truth is standing right before them. And the truth is telling them the truth that they are not connected to God. And because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convinces me of sin? Remember, they didn't, they didn't crucify Jesus based on anything he did. It was all based on what he said. And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He was of God, hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Boom. Drop the mic. Just kidding. That was just for drama. Um, 
Let's pray and then we'll just look at primarily verse 39, but we're going to take a journey through the Bible and we're going to look at Abraham. Heavenly Father, just guide us as we look uh, to your word and I trust your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our comforter and uh, just the one that builds us up. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you go back to verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus answered and said, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You know what really ticked them off is the end of uh, John chapter 8 where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Then they really started to, you know, get angry because now he being a man makes himself out to be God. And that's exactly why they killed him, blasphemy. But it wasn't, he didn't, he didn't lie, he was God. So of the three, there's, there's, there's some major religions. Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. But three of those all have Abraham in their religious documents. So I don't know of anyone else that's mentioned. Uh, I know Jesus is mentioned, you know, in the, in the Quran and um, some other religious writings and stuff like that. People acknowledge him as a good person and, you know, that kind of thing. But when it comes to Abraham, I mean, uh, the Muslims call him Father Abraham. Uh, the Jews call him Father Abraham. Christians call him Father Abraham. So there's something to Abraham that I thought would be worth exploring a little bit. Now, Jesus makes a statement. He said, if you did know God, if you did know Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. So what are the works of Abraham? I'm going to turn to a controversial portion of Scripture. I think one that's kind of tripped people up for many centuries, actually. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther that said that this book ought not to even be in the Bible. But I, I think it's awesome. I love it. Turn to James chapter 2. Number one verse quoted to me as we were missionaries in Utah for 13 years. I'm like, wait, let me guess. Faith without works is dead, right? Faith without works is dead. Okay. Kind of knew where you're going. Do you have anywhere else to go? <clears throat> so I like to turn here because it kind of helps me understand how works plays out in our Christian faith. And I think James makes some real, real, real practical statements in here as it relates to us as Christians who are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, but we're saved unto good works. What does that look like? Well, James wants to tell you what it looks like. And he's really curious that if you say you're a Christian and you don't have any evidence of your Christianity, he wonders if you really are a Christian. That's where people get tripped up. So turn with me to James chapter 2. I think it's verse 14. What is a prophet, my brother my, and sisters? Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, now he's getting real practical, and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and be filled, notwithstanding you don't give those things which are necessary and needful to the body. What does that even profit? You say you're a Christian and you love people, but you don't help people. 
It sounds like where Jesus was, when they said, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? You say we're supposed to love God and to love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus gives the example of some priest that went by the Samaritan, or I mean this guy that was, you know, uh, mugged and left for dead, and, and they were going off to do their religious things, and then there was the Samaritan who put him on his donkey, took him to the hotel, paid the bill, took care of the guy's wounds, um, stayed with him all night, and then said, I'm going to go and come back again. What's that called and when you see that? And we watch it all the time. Foreshadow, foreshadow. You know, he's going to go and come back again, but it's all on his tab. Um, and so Jesus says, that's what it looks like. And so it's kind of the same thing James is saying. You call yourself a person of faith that loves God and loves others? Well, how does that ever show up? Um, so he says this statement. Even so, if faith has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man, man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's actually a really good statement, right? If we just say we believe and we don't, nothing ever shows up in our life, it's like, well, yeah, that seems pretty dead to me. It doesn't seem very active to me. You believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's why I say there's no atheists in hell. They're all believers. But what wilt thou, man, O vain man, that your faith without works is dead? Now he's going to get into Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Well, he wasn't, but we'll see this. When he offered up Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Just let me give you a chronology. Genesis 22 is when Abraham offered up his son on the altar. When Abraham got justified by faith, that's like 10 chapters earlier. We're talking a lot of years as Abraham as already being justified. And now he's demonstrating that he had been justified by his works of obeying God. This didn't justify him. What James is really trying to get across is when we, like, what's that movie? Show me the money! He's like, show me your faith. Because if you just say it and you don't see it, what good is that? So he's not, justification before God is when you have faith alone and Christ alone. Justification before men is when you start showing them that you have been justified. James wants to know about the justification before men, not the justification before God. And incidentally, when Abraham took his son up, there was some other servants that were at the base of the mountain. He said, hey, me and the boy are going to come back. And he showed them that he was obeying God and that he believed in resurrection, obviously. And then they both came back. And so Abraham showed by his actions that he really wasn't. He also showed it by getting up out of the Ur of Chaldees and leaving where God told him to go. He also showed it by going down to Egypt. He showed it in so many different ways. He didn't show it when he, he came up with the plan to have sex with his handmaiden, Hagar. <laughs> Oops. But he then still believed God, that God was going to provide a son through Sarah. He believed the whole time he was justified. And he was just showing it, just as you show it. Um, and so he goes on to say, See how that faith wrought through his works, and his works were made uh, perfect or mature. It just shows it showed up. 
And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's way back in Genesis, I think, 14 or 15. Um, so many chapters earlier in his life, and many years earlier. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then he gives another example of, of Rahab. Now, works justifies us before men. Faith justifies us before God. The Bible does not say without works it's impossible to please God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. You know what? I'm not so, so impressed with just works only because anyone could do Christian works. You know, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You can't imitate fruit because fruit is of the Spirit. And you only get the Spirit when you have faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you're born again, you're spiritually resurrected, and you're, you're joined with God. And then the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, cannot be imitated. Um, you could make plastic fruit. You ever gone to a, uh, my parents used to take me to like home that they would never buy. They were like model homes. Let's go look at model homes. It was so boring as a kid. And we'd go through homes and I always saw the fruit in the basket and you'd pick it up and it was, you, it looks good enough to eat, but it's fake. You'd break your teeth if you tried to eat it. So, but anyone could do the works. Hey, if to be a Christian, you just need to show up on Sunday, read a chapter, um, put some money in the offering, take communion, maybe if you dare get baptized. Look, you know how many people could do that? That's so easy. That's it. So you'll know them by their fruit. Because I've been around people that do a lot better works than Christians. Doesn't mean they're Christians. It's not your activity. It's your identity. So we have a receiving system, not an achieving system. And you receive Christ and his life based on faith in his finished work for you, not your work for him. So we don't walk by works and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by works. Just shall live by faith. So we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is not alone. Our faith works. We are not saved by good works, but those that are saved do do good works. Do do good works. <laughs> we don't do good works for eternal life. We do good works from eternal life. Look, the argument Jesus was having in John chapter 8 the verses before, he was where we were just were this morning. He was saying, the works that I do, it's the Father that does it, not me. So Jesus already knew the source of the works. James, actually, I think in chapter 3, in the same book, he says, can you, can you come from the same spring, both bitter water and pure water? It's a source issue. If you've been born again, you have the capacity to do the works the same way Jesus had the capacity to do the works, though Jesus says, it's not me, but the Father that lives in me. He does the works through me. The same thing with you and I. If you do a good work in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. The only good thing about me is Christ in me. That's the only good thing. And if there's a good work that comes out of me, it's because I've yielded to the Spirit and I've surrendered to the life of Christ to flow through the life of me, the believer. That's the only thing. 
And that happens rare. <laughs> it happens rare with you too. But we're learning to appropriate his life more and more. So the good works that we do is not to get eternal life, but it's already because we received his eternal life. And his eternal life wants to live through your daily life. That's how the Christian life uh, works, because that's how Jesus did it. We don't work for justification, we work from justification. But the Bible does say there's always profit and labor and work. Look at Proverbs. You'll know these verses. The two different translations here. Hard work is worthwhile, but empty talk will make you poor. In all labor there's gain, but the talk of the lips tends to poverty. Because in our kind of, in our, in our metric or and in our economy, the way we think is like, you know, you, you work, you get a wage. And, and, and the Bible's saying, yeah, there's profit, you know. There's, you know get a job, work, and um, there's all profit. But Jesus makes this statement. He says, what does it profit someone if they shall gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? I think it was Paul that said to this one guy in Acts chapter 8, he said, uh, no, it wasn't Paul. Um, I forget who it was. He says, your money perish with you. You think that you could buy the gift of God with money? Look, there's profit in work, but there's what profit if you work for eternal life, but you miss the mark because you miss the fact that it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ that alone saves you. So James wants to see your faith by your works. God wants to see your works because of your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if you have faith in Christ and you never do one work? You still, if Jesus comes into your heart and you receive him into your life and yet you never do one good work, do you still go to heaven? Certainly. But is that... Is that going to happen to a Christian? No. It, look, if someone moved into your house, would you not know it? Like, hey, man, in our house, it's like, where did all the soy milk go? <laughs> I wouldn't notice if all the vegetables were gone, but um, if someone moved into your house, you would know it. Jesus moved in, and you ought to know it, right? And it changes things. So, in essence, we are saved by work the forever finished work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, here's a quote from, is it Augustine or Augustine? For grace is given, not because we have done good works, but in order that we might be able to do them. I think that's a good statement, right? That's what he said. Let's listen to what the Bible says. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before uh, the, the foundation of the world, the eternal times. Titus 3.5. I love Titus 3.5. And actually the verses after that are really good too. And before it, but the ones on salvation... 3, 5, and down to verse 8. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Romans three twenty seven. You could start in Romans 3 and go all the way to Romans 10, right? And it's going to say 
the same thing in a different way. He says, then where is the boasting? It's excluded through what law? Of works? No, but through the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the works of the law. This is the verse that God used to save me. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't like this verse. No one likes grace when you're trying to work real hard to earn your spot in heaven. Because grace says it's not anything you have done. It's a gift that someone else went to the store. They worked the job. They got a paycheck. They put down their credit card, their debit card, their money. They purchased it for you. And now they're offering it to you as a gift. You have no participation in this. You're a receiver, not an achiever. I didn't like this because for four years I had been trying to achieve salvation. <clears throat> so it says this, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then the, verse, the next verse says, For we are saved unto good works. It puts it in order. So James would have come up to Paul and say, okay, good, I'm, I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of people that just say, I have faith, I have faith, and they don't do good works. And all James is saying is like, show me you're justified by what you do. He's not saying you're justified by works. He's saying you're justified before the eyes of people. Look, you've heard people talk the talk and not walk the walk. And I know you guys because I'm one of you. You walk away and you're like, I don't think they're a Christian. <laughs> We're not supposed to do that, right? But we all do it. Like, did you see what? Uh, oh, I don't know. Because what we really want to know is, are you really a Christian? And how we really know is you can say it, but if you don't show it, I don't really know. And there's some people you're like, I know that person's just, I know, right? I could see it in their life. I could see it. I know it. There's people I'm fully convinced that are Christians in my life. Even people that died that... Um, that didn't, you know, they weren't like really showy about their faith. I'm like, I totally believe they're a Christian and in heaven with God, right? You just, you know, your spirit bears witness with their spirit. Um, so, for me, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And then graduated, got kicked out of the house like I told you. And then got a job, started living with my cousin and it was interesting because I started to want to go to church. And I was trying to figure this whole thing out. He was raised in church. I wasn't. He didn't want anything to do with church. I would want everything to do with church. Um, it was so weird how the roles reversed. I remember just getting up on Sunday mornings. There would be people. We rented an apartment together. Staying at, you know, they partied the night before. There's beer cans and booze and stuff. And people laying everywhere. I'm kicking the stuff out of the way. Like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to church. I became a little bit of a, like a... You know, what are you doing with your hangover? So I'd find my way to, you know, church, and I didn't even know what to look for. What, I didn't have a Bible. I was just so, I was just so confused. And then uh, someone told me something about the Antichrist and, so, and the mark of the beast, and I got all freaked out. Um, and so now it was all about the Antichrist and not Jesus Christ. And then someone told me some other things. And you know how you pick up things here and there? I'm not going to make this long at all because it's kind of boring. And I took the long way around, unfortunately. But for the next four years, I would travel not all of the, the world, but multiple countries, living in different countries, 
And I was all in search of God. And I got connected with this one group in Seattle. Um, they were just, the, they were like the Pharisees, but a modern day version. And um, they grew their beards out. They made their own clothes. They wore tunics because they, they didn't believe in, like this shirt would be no dice. This is a, a blend. But if you're going to go by the law, you can't blend your fabrics. They made tents because they were like a hybrid of the New Testament, Old Testament. So it's really confusing because they would, you know, they wouldn't eat pork and they wrote all their hymns in Hebrew and they studied the Greek and it was not good for a man to touch a woman, New Testament, Old Testament. So there wasn't anything like immoral going on. They were just like squeaky clean to a, a novice of the scriptures. So I'm like, who are these people? And it was a works-based cult. Um, and I didn't know that. And I moved to, um, I'd been to Amsterdam before, but I moved back because I wanted to work at this uh, ministry and I went there, and, and everyone seemed to know something I didn't know, all the people on the staff. So I'd ride my bike to work, Amsterdam, and um, I'd teach the Bible studies, but I didn't really know what I was teaching. In the back of my mind, of all, and I did missions work in Romania and all Eastern Europe and all this kind of stuff, and I was serving the Lord, but kind of like how Charles Wesley uh, he came over to America to evangelize America, and then he got saved on his way over. He got evangelized too. I was over there trying to make Christians, but I needed to be made a Christian first. And it was, and I, I was getting familiar with the Bible, I, but in the back of my mind, I had this aching question. What must I do to be saved? What is it? These guys seem to know on the staff. I mean, they're all happy, but I'm miserable because I'm, don't do this, don't touch this. Don't, you know, I'm trying to clean up my life and, and it's all by works. And now I'm, I've sold all that I had and I left the bands that I was in and I gave up a lifestyle and I'm all for Jesus. But I'm like, Jesus, I don't even know if I know you. So it was a really confusing time, uh, those four years. And then I came back to the States because my grandma, um, who practically raised me, my, her, my grandpa died and she wanted me to to be a part of the funeral. So I said, for sure, Grandma. So I came back, intention to move back because uh, I had an apartment in Amsterdam and I wanted to move back. And then um, did the funeral. And then I started hanging out with this pastor after I interviewed like four of them to make sure they're, you know, the right version of pastor. And I went with this one pastor uh, in Fresno, California, and we would go door to door. And he would give them the Romans road. And I heard the gospel over and over and over again. We did this hundreds of times. And I was just the silent prayer partner. And he would always include Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Because everyone always has the same response. Well, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm going to be good enough for heaven. And he's like, it's not by your works. It's by grace. And I remember I went home one night. And, well, I, not my home. I was the living room of my dad's apartment. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I said, I'm done. Four years, I'm exhausted. And I just, I knelt or laid or whatever, and I said, Jesus, if you're saved by grace and it's not works, because I don't, I don't know how good good enough is. I really don't. I mean, is 95% good enough? I mean, how good is good enough? And if you come to that place, you'll soon realize 
You'd have to be as good as God. And I couldn't pull it off. It's, that's exhausting for people, to be honest with you. That's a, that's a huge task. And I wasn't even at .001%, if I'm to be honest. So the verse that I hated was the verse that sealed the deal for me. And I just prayed and received Christ. And um, yeah, that was in 1994 for me. Um, and I praise the Lord for that. You know, I got saved by grace through faith and I realized it wasn't of works. I think that's why God sent us to Utah, to like the Mecca of a works-based, in America, right? That, that, that would always use that verse, faith without works is dead. I want you to see a passage, passage of Scripture. Go to Romans chapter 4. You just read James' account, which I think is good. Now I want you to see Paul's account. Romans chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. Now remember, James was using Abraham as an example. Many years after Abraham got, got saved... Because it says, it's in Genesis 15, 6. That's where it's at. Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What does it take to get into heaven? To be as righteous as God. How do you get that righteousness? You receive it. You don't achieve it. If you achieve it, you could boast in that self-righteousness, but no one's good enough. None good. Not one, the Bible says. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So let's listen to Paul's account. And he's going to use Abraham also and it's going to sound totally opposite, but he's talking about justification before God versus James is talking about justification before men. Big difference. So Romans 4.1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh is found? If Abraham were justified by works, he has wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt, right? Hey, I worked this hard, now give me, give me heaven. I earned it, right? And the Bible teaches totally opposite. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even David described the blessedness of the man unto whom uh, God imputes righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Comes this blessedness upon the circumcision or the Jews only or upon the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, everyone else. Uh, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. That was right in the beginning, before their names were changed before, you know, the, before he had his uh, sons and before he took them up to the mountain and all, way years, years before he was saved. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision before the law is what he's trying to get at. And he received the sign of circumcision, a, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Now, keep that 
kind of shelved off to the side. That faith of Abraham. Because Jesus says, you say you know Abraham and he's your father, but you don't do the works of Abraham. So, <laughs> it's like in Hebrews 11, which is the chapter, right, the heroes of the faith. So, it's like their faith produced the obedience in the works. It wasn't their obedience in the works that produced their faith. Does that make sense? Because Noah believed, he built the ark. Because Moses believed, he, did, you know, he, he left uh, Egypt. Because Abraham and Sarah believed, they did this. So, it's the faith that produces the works. It does, it's not the works that produces the faith. You don't get in that chapter because of your works. It's not the works chapter. It's the faith chapter. Well, anyways, so verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world uh, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law works wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's just like if there is no speed limit sign on the autobahn, just go as fast as you want. Just be safe, right? <laughs> Therefore, it is a faith that it might not be by grace, uh, or that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, and not only uh, which is of the law, but also to that which is the, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom he had believed even God who quickens the dead, makes them alive, and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against all hope believed in hope, faith, uh, that he might become the father of many nations uh, according to that which is spoken, so shall thy seed be. Remember, God said, through you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. How does that even work? I, I could keep reading. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead. Uh, remember, he was, what, 10 years older than Sarah? Um, and they were, they were getting into triple digits, right? And God said, you're going to have a kid. When he was about 100 years old, yeah, there's triple digits, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That is a great encouragement to us as well. I know you don't feel like you're heaven ready and heaven bound or fit for heaven and qualified, but you are because God says it. He made you fit, not by your works, but by his grace and mercy. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It was accredited to him, appropriated to him, granted to him by his faith. Now it was not written for his sake only uh, that it was imputed to him, but for us, that's why we're reading this, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, but was raised again for our justification. And you could keep on reading Romans, and it will keep reinforcing, reinforcing, reinforcing that you're saved by faith through grace in the finished work of Christ. And those that are saved by grace through faith will do good works. And I'll show you, James, just hang out a little bit, right? Because there's a lot of Jameses out there. They just don't. You're like, there was Thomas too, right? He's, I don't believe unless I see. Kind of the same thing. Are you guys doing good? We're wrapping it up right now. So we'll, we'll, we'll just finish this up. 
So that faith of Father Abraham connects us by faith to our heavenly Father, God. And I started thinking about this, and here's where we'll, we'll kind of just end on this note. Jen and I were at the dog park yesterday with Harbor, our grandson. Please let it, Harbor be our only grandson for now. <laughs> um, so I, started, I had this thought. I, I ran it by Jen. She's like, oh, that yeah, sounds good. She's really actually such a wonderful friend and I love doing life with her together, and we, we always like bounce God thoughts off each other and what the Holy Spirit does in her and me, and so it's just, you know, it's good. But I said, what do you think about this? I'm not a big numbers guy, like, like Jerry in Sunday school. I'm not a big number. I don't read too much in, in the numbers. Um, um, but I started thinking, Adam plus Eve plus the Father plus the Son plus the Holy Spirit, it's five people in the garden. And five is the number of grace in the Bible. I thought, okay, that's cool. But technically, Adam and Eve, the, God said that the two shall come together and be one. Okay, so now I had to rearrange my math. <laughs> and actually, the Trinity is not like one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. Now this is wrecking that. So Adam and Eve make one. The Trinity makes one. They're both in the garden. That makes two. But no, that doesn't work either because they're one with God. So I started thinking like what God originally designed in the garden was relational oneness. He's always wanted it. He's always longed for it. He's always wanted us to experience it, this relational oneness. And then the devil came along, the father of lies, and said, hey, you could be a god. Eat this tree. You'll be wise. You'll know good and evil. And religion's been eaten from that tree ever since. What's good? What's evil? What's good? What's evil? And it's the tree of death. It's the wrong focus. The tree of life is a totally different source to live from, totally different way to think. So Adam and Eve sinned. They broke fellowship. They spiritually died. And they didn't physically die. And they didn't solically die in their, you know, their thinker. But spiritually, they did die that day. God loved them and hated their sin for what their sin did to them, but not for what it did to God. I always had that weird backwards, like God was so disappointed. He was heartbroken because of the, the oneness, the fellowship, the relationship. He hated that sin would come in and, and rob them of what he wanted to give to them. So they came up with, the first religious movement in the Bible. They came up with fig leaves. You want to talk about works? They covered their shame with fig leaves. Works. Hey, we'll come to God on our terms, and then God said, that's unacceptable. Those are your terms, not my terms. And then God became the first priest of the whole Bible, and he illustrated what was ultimately going to happen in Jesus. And he killed a, a, an animal and covered them with the skins of an animal. Never wanted to do that, but he had to do that to um, cover their, their sin and their shame. So it was a picture of God's grace, and it was also a picture of Jesus that would come to take away, not cover, but take away the sin of the world. And so 
Um, and it was interesting that even when they sinned, they started to run and hid themselves from God, but God pursued them even when they were not pursuing God. That should tell you something about God. When you're running and hiding from God, God is still pursuing you in love because he wants not what he could get out of you, but what he wants to give you. He wants to give you his life and his, uh, and his eternal love. So to wrap this whole thing up, the unfolding love story of redemption uh, to bring us back into that loving relational oneness. So God tells Eve, you're going to have a seed. Women don't have seed. They have eggs. But he's saying that's, that's going to happen down in the future. Um, virgin birth. Uh, Cain, you know, their kids. Uh, Cain killed his brother. Um, but then Cain found grace. He had a mark on him, which is not a curse. It was a picture of God's grace. Sorry, Utah. Because God said when they see that, they won't kill you. It was a picture of his grace. Um, Noah found grace, and then you come to the Tower of Babel. It's organized religious work. They were trying to work their way up into heaven, and God said, nope, that's not going to cut it. That's not the way you get there. And then enter Abraham. God says, leave the Ur of Chaldees. I'll take you to the land. And then it's through you, all the nations, and through your seed will be blessed. And that seed was going to be, of course, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down when you read Matthew chapter 1 and I think it's Luke chapter 2, the genealogy of Christ, um, you could see that, that how that promise was being met until, you know, uh, Mary and Joseph. And of course, it was all of Mary because it was a virgin birth. And then Abraham, um, to make this covenant, God puts him to sleep. And then God, you know, performs the act of the covenant, a picture of grace because he knew Abraham wouldn't be able to keep his end of the bargain through work, so God had to do it for him. That's why Abraham was excluded from the covenant um, of the animals being split in two and walking through the middle of it. And so I'm hurrying up. But Abraham was called the friend of God. Second Chronicles 2 20, verse 7. Are thou not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel and gave it to your seed or to the seed of Abraham? Your friend forever. We now, because of Christ's work and our faith alone and Jesus alone, are now friends with God forever, just as Abraham was. Do you believe that? Here's the thing. I think most people think, well, God loves me because he has to, but I don't think God likes me. Right? You know he has to love you, but you don't think he really likes you. I know that. You're like, you don't know that. I do. Yeah, I, believe, uh, yeah, I, I know it if you're honest, that's how I felt. Sometimes I, st I still feel like that. Like, oh, he's, of course he's got to love me. It's like your kids, you know. Your mom and dad have to love me, right? <laughs> but I don't know if they're really like, like me. Uh. We don't like what they do sometimes because of what it's going to do to them. I don't like it when my daughter gets hit by cars. I don't like that, right? Because so, I, I hate the street and I hate the drivers. I don't hate her. But we're friends with God forever. You know this verse. Greater love has no, knows no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. We all say, amen, amen, amen. Really? That's the greatest love people can do to other people. But God does one a little bit better. He doesn't die for friends. Because none of you were his friend. You were his enemy. 
I'll show you something greater than greater love knows no man than this and someone lay down his life for his friend. Lay down your life for an enemy. That's greater. That's greater than what's that's great. And Jesus says, that's the greatest that people could do for other people. There's, you know, people jump on a hand grenade, they push someone out of the way of a bus and they get hit by a bus. That's a rare act of uh, heroism. Heroin nonism. Um, but that's rare. That's something you see in movies. Because they're trying to make a point. Because that's the greatest love that we know. But we don't know this. Last verse. Romans 5. It'll be on the screen. Christ died for us when we were unable to help ourselves. We were living against God. But at just the right time, Christ died for us. Very, very few people will die to save the life of someone else, even if it's a good person. Someone might be willing to die for an especially good person, you know, like Secret Service. It's the president. Um, remember when Reagan got shot? I remember that. I was a little kid, but who's the guy that, you know, jumped and took a bullet? Um, who? Brady? Brady? Active heroin. But Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed how much he loved us. We have been made right with God by the blood sacrifice of Christ. So through Christ, we shall surely be saved from God's wrath and anger. I mean, that while we were God's enemies, he made friends with us through his son's death. And the fact that we are now God's friends makes it even more certain that he will save us through his son's life. And not only will we be saved, but we will also rejoice right now in what God has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus that we are now God's friends. See? He died for you when you were enemies, sinners, lost. Hardly will someone die for their friend or a good person. Hardly. Never will someone die for an enemy. Just look at, look at the, look, watch history, shows on wars. No one dies for their enemies. So I had some other stuff I was going to read from this book, but I'm not going to. I'm going to save it because I just noticed the time and it has been getting away from me. So Let's stand and let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, thank you for your patience and me going a little bit longer than normal. But uh, hopefully something was in there that the Lord connected dots for you and encouraged you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to be dismissed in um, a song here in a moment. Heavenly Father, if there's someone here that's never put their faith in you, I pray today they would receive the free gift of eternal life found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. For those of us that name the name of Christ and we say that we have faith, help us to, not to be justified before others, but yeah, help us to show others that we are justified by the things that we do. Help us to live a life that's not contrary to who we are in Christ. We know that we're not saved by works, but we know that those that are saved do good works, and it works. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd encourage all of us, and help us to go be the church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.